Custom Car Care, Sarah and Dustin. Sarah, how are you this morning? I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Good. So it sounds like they, uh, the listeners out there wanted a little shop talk today. How do you they feel about did. that? They did. I'm okay with it. So I really enjoy um, getting every mile out of vehicles. Does that make any sense? Oh, I just, absolutely. So it's almost like this badge of honor when I can get uh, not just my vehicles. I've, I've shared that a lot with everybody out there that, you know, I... I'm not scared of a 200, 300, 400,000 mile vehicle. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I see it more and more with a lot of our customers as well to where they're getting, you know, decades of use. Um, You know, even if the vehicle is, you know, 20, 30 years old, we have talked many times about doing repowers, which would be engine transmission related stuff. But I'm seeing a lot more of that in the shops right now. A, for many reasons, the supply is very limited on used and new vehicles. But if I own something outright, even if I'm going to invest, and I hear this a lot, I'm going to use air quotes, so Radio Land, you'll just have to imagine this with us, that, you know, I've heard at different times, oh, I didn't even pay that much for the vehicle or that's more than the vehicle's worth to do that repair. But right now, you know, if I own it outright, I'm probably going to make a pretty healthy investment in keeping that vehicle on the road for many reasons. Um, Part of it being, other than just the obvious ones, is the technology that's coming out in some of the newer, you know, I'm going to say 10 years old or newer, is very expensive and it's very uh problem prone if you will or troublesome and so when we get these vehicles that are late model you know 100,000 miles whatever that are 10 years old they need a pretty significant amount of work now with that same thing being said and I've said this many times for my folks out there listening or customers you know from about 96 to 06 and from 06 probably to 16 those are some of the most refined dependable vehicles out there on the road let me say that again so obd2 which is onboard diagnostics started in 96 on most vehicles i know somebody out there is going to be like oh they had one earlier later that was the mandate point that the government came out and said hey you got to have onboard diagnostics for emissions related only. So that's it's not like it's the magic eight ball that if you got a problem, it'll tell you what's wrong with it. It is there to monitor the emissions on the vehicle only. Okay. So as fuel injection and adaptive fuel control really ramped up throughout the late 90s, early 2000s, mid 2000s, they did a very good job making that system very robust. And then we get into uh, CAN network diagnostics that started in the mid to early 2000s, and they continued that. And there were some growing pains in there, don't get me wrong. But once we hit really 2016-ish, 2014, somewhere in there, they started adding overhead cam and variable valve timing to engines. And this is this is not just one manufacturer. This is many throughout there across the board. There was a steep and still is a learning curve on how to refine those to get back the, to the dependability of what we had through the mid to late 90s, early mid 2000s. Okay, hopefully everybody's following along with me. 
So what I'm seeing in the shops right now, this is real talk. I'm seeing a lot of those vehicles come in that have two, three, four hundred thousand miles of that genre, ninety-six to sixteen, and people are investing a significant amount of money in them. Now, some of you skeptics out there may think, "Oh, that's all he's after. He's got a shop that does repairs, and I want all your money." No, not, not even close. The dealer that wants to push you into buying a sixty, eighty, ninety, hundred thousand dollar new vehicle that they can't even deliver to you for six months to longer, they want your money. Okay, and I'm not faulting them for that because I want a new truck too, but I'm not going to put eighty grand out there right now. I just ain't going to do it. So when you talk about somebody spending four, five, six, eight, even ten grand on an older vehicle, most folks may think, "Oh my God, that's insane!" You know, just put that money towards a new one. Well, we've had several folks out there that own their vehicles that they're wanting to do that repower. They're wanting to do that, you know, keep the vehicle on the road and keep out from under a car payment. So I need to look it up and see if I remember right, and it's probably gone up since the last time I looked. The national average for car payments in the United States was like north of 480 bucks. It doesn't take that long to do four or $5,000 worth of work to an older car and you recoup and then continue to reap the benefits of that investment versus $500 a month plus whatever the insurance and taxes and all that other jazz is. So we're seeing a lot of people that are dragging those older vehicles out or it was, you know, Uncle Bob's and Uncle Bob got a new truck and this one's been sitting in the yard for a couple years or, or longer. And we're basically breathing life back into those vehicles. It's not been that long ago. Um, Sarah, I think I shared this story with you, but we had a lady who had a very, very, uh, sentimental attachment to this truck. Did I tell you this story? You did. And I want to share this with everybody. Maybe you weren't listening to that show, but we were able to deliver it back to her. It had sat for six-ish years. Um, I believe it was her father's, which was her first vehicle to drive back and forth to school. And then, uh, you know, they used it around the farm for a long time and then passed it down to them for kind of a wood truck, you know. And then since then... You know, he's passed away, and now the the son, which is the grandson, he's learning how to drive, which is a manual, by the way, which is kind of cool to see him learn on a manual. I actually learned on a manual transmission. Uh, but long story short, you know, it was an absolute war and battle to get it back going. Uh, but we were able to deliver it back to her here a while back, and, and it literally brought her to tears, which oh, was... I love that. Yeah, which was really, really cool. And it was one of those things that... You know, as a, as we're going through it, and, and more often than not, when a vehicle's been sitting, it's a much bigger challenge than it looks initially. So a lot of you out there, when a vehicle sits, it sits for a reason, okay? The transmission did something funny. The electrical did something funny. Whatever it is, put it off the road, right? And it just sits there, and it doesn't get in any better shape sitting. You know, it's not like those, uh, you know, climate-controlled barn find that's been sitting for 12 years and you put a battery in it and it starts right up. So it, it, it's this ball of worms, if you will, that you get in and you know or hopefully know what the initial problem was. And then you figure out that it's got seized up brakes, which is very common. All the fluids have drawn so much condensation. The rings hopefully have not seized to the cylinder walls. And so you have this like rebirth uh, effect of doing all this work and work and work and work and work. And finally you get to the point where it starts 
and from a mechanic or technician side of it, there's, I don't know, there's probably bigger highs out there, if you will, but that's one of the purest ones I know of. And so you're like, yeah, we were able to do that, or I was able to do that and get it back running. Yeah. All right. So now how do we get it driving? All right. So you go through that and you get whatever it is that wasn't, uh, you know, letting it drive. All right. Now, how do we get it stopping? How do we get tires on there? The whole thing. And it's this huge, huge undertaking. But when you're done, it is so awesome. Heck, it may even bring me to tears at some point in time. But I absolute love. And a lot of times when it's something old and mechanical, um, you know, those skills are waning, if you will. And so I take a lot of pride in what we can do and what we're able to do. It's not always as easy as people think. You know, you don't just get on YouTube and all of a sudden it's running. You know, I, I, I see those cold start or old start videos that it sat for 120 years and all of a sudden it's fired up. And maybe I'll get lucky someday and I'll run onto one of those, which I have, honestly. I have experienced that. But more often than not, it's a process that you run through to get the things running. So pretty exciting to do that. Yes. And if you do have a vehicle that you're wanting to restore back to life, I'm going to plug one of our other shows because we talked about a vehicle that is near and dear to me and Ryan. And we were very excited because we are in the process of pulling it and we are going to start working on it soon. And it's going to become a farm truck. Yep. And uh, after that, you know, hopefully it'll be something that our son can drive when he's 16. So it's something we want to keep around for a very, very long time. So if that's something that you're interested in, you can hear that. Uh, We have it in podcast form at KSGF.com. All you do is you go to podcast, you look for A1, you click on it, boom, there it'll be. Awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. So I thought, you know, that'll be a good little thing. Um, I know it's not fully what we're talking about today but it's a it's a good one because we did a full show on that there is a lot of people out there right now in that same boat Mm -hmm. to where they're they're bringing back vehicles and really you know vehicles that when i was younger you could have picked up for a few hundred bucks now are extremely valuable some of the old square body chevys the old fords they're really getting to be in a very high demand didn't okay so i'm trying to think I think the reason why a lot of them went into high demand was because wasn't there like a cash for clunkers program that took a lot of them off of the roads or out of the fields? Yeah. So that was, I I believe, during the Obama administration, if I'm correct. It's been a minute. Uh, But I was in the industry working as a professional technician during that. And there were so many cherry vehicles that went into the cash for clunkers program which was absolutely a complete waste of taxpayer dollars one because basically uh the government subsidized a very large payment to the person trading the vehicle in and secondly the um the dealer could not resell the vehicle and then when it went to a salvage yard They only had so many days before they could sell parts and pieces off of it before the vehicles had to be crushed and documented that they absolutely were out of service. So the the abomination of that absolutely we're paying for it now. But we're going to break. Sarah and I will be back in a minute. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. All right, welcome back. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. Having a little shop talk today. I realized it got a little windy earlier. Did uh, did any of that make sense earlier? It did. Okay, 
Well, I appreciate you being nice and <laughs> saying it, Ted. <laughs> Hopefully you'll tell me if it doesn't. Oh, I will. <laughs> I would expect nothing less. But uh, so riddle me this here, uh, Batwoman, I guess, is what it would be instead of Batman. Um, so what do you, uh, if you could keep a vehicle for 20 years and drive it, would that make a difference in your life? Like it, financially? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the husband and I, we did that. We had the Danger Ranger. So and, how long? Yeah. Give me a little feedback. How oh, long man. did he have that? So he actually had that in high school. Wow. And so we drove that for eight or nine years. But the actual age of it was mm-hmm. the same age as us. So we would celebrate a birthday with it. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> so I'm kind of in a similar boat per se. I've, I've talked a little bit about it. I've got a little four-wheel drive Mazda pickup. It's an 89 model. It's a B2600i for anybody out there interested. Oh, it looks so it looks like a Ranger. It, it well, so this was when it was true Mazda back oh, then. Oh, okay. So it was just before that and you're exactly right. Ford Motor Company, you know, merged Mazda and Ford. And so, but this one is a true Mazda from gotcha. from it's the OG if you will. But I drove it um, probably similar for about 10 years, solid. It was right after I got out of high school. I was, you know, uh, I don't want to say a starving artist at that time. But, you know, uh, you know, you're trying to get established, I guess. And it was a wonderful vehicle. But I'm a tall, uh, broad-shouldered gentleman, I guess, if you will. So seeing me in a little bitty micro truck is quite the sight. However, I do love that truck very much. So it has sat out in our pasture for probably almost 10 years now. I need to do the math on that. And it was running and driving, and there was nothing wrong with it when I parked it. But I ended up buying, was it my first F-150? may have been my second F-150. And I decided I wanted a full-size truck, darn it. Fuel had come down. And so I did some wheeling and dealing, and I bought a full-wheel drive uh, V6 manual transmission F-150. Been a very good truck for years. Still on the road now. Hundreds of thousands of miles. I couldn't even tell you. The odometer broke at 39,000. So long story short, the mice have had a field day on this little truck. The fuel, I'm sure, is junk in it at this point in time, along with everything else, brakes and, and all the good stuff. But I think this spring, as soon as we finally get you know, in a full swing of decent temperatures, I'm going to drag that out of the, the old fence row. Ooh. And I'm going to get it going. Um, Jonas, my boy, is 13 at the moment. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's going to be his first rig or I'm going to teach him to drive in it. But, yeah, that's essentially kind of in our plan. That'll so be fun. We are going to be taking some of the advice Sarah and I have been putting out here to everybody. And it sounds like we're all going to be kind of bringing some things back from the brink, which I'm pretty excited about. That truck, uh, it, I can't tell you how many river crossings it's done down um, down by Crane area and how many uh, unbelievably overloaded loads of lumber and firewood and uh, broken things that I have towed with that little bitty truck. Uh, I hooked my 18-foot car trailer to it one time and towed a tractor with it, and I ended up having to put a clutch in it right afterwards. Uh, so that little truck has been amazing for me. It has been an absolute rock star, and it deserves better than what I have given it, I guess, at this point. So I look forward to getting it out, getting it running, getting you know going through all the stuff. Hopefully parts are available for it as I sit here and think about it. But it's it's more important for me, for my kids or for us, you know, that truck doesn't owe us anything. If somebody come up and offered me money for it right now, um, 
you know, it's not going to be enough that I would feel like it's worthwhile sending it down the road. Um, Stacy and I talk about this truck quite often. And so she uses it kind of as like a barometer of whether I really want something or not. So her, uh, her stance when I'm like, Hey, I think I should buy blah, blah, blah. And she's like, would you sell this for it? Would you sell this for it? And so she'll go through various things that we have at our place. And that's how she always knows whether I really want it, whether I would sell the Mazda for it or not. That's smart. Yeah. I don't always like it though. I'm like, <laughs> but I want them all. I, I just, I want all the broken stuff. So she brings you back down. She does. She keeps me leveled out yes. and I greatly appreciate that. But yeah, that's what she always uses. And you would be surprised, or I know she is, of the things that I had said I would say no to before I would sell the Mazda because I've got a super attachment to that truck. Um, you know, I put a stereo in it back in the day and it had six by nines behind the seat. And I don't know if you've ever put in car stereo stuff, but I thought I thought I was super cool back then. Uh, but it has been a really, really good little truck. So, yeah, that's going to kind of be a project as well as my daughter and I. We shared that. I need to probably send that photo over to you. But uh, we're going to be rebuilding a 97 Dodge Dakota. Um, I got some feedback from one of our listeners. Uh, she basically said that I don't know if I can respect you anymore now that you bought a Dodge. <gasps> oh, that's no. what she told me. And I said, look, it's an old school Dodge full drive V8. She's like, okay, that's, that's a little better. Uh, but yeah, I know I give all my Dodge folks a lot of, a lot of, uh, BS, but, um, you know, there are some good ones in there. I mainly share some of my experiences. If you have a good Dodge, I'm more than happy for you. I really, really am. Uh, but as they have been owned by different, uh, entities, you know, Mercedes owned them for a while. Um, of course, they were Daimler Chrysler under the uh, Lee Iacocca, which he did a lot of great things. I think I've paid homage to that quite often. And now our friends in Italy, Fiat owns them. Uh, side note, this is kind of like squirrel, Sarah, and I'm way down left field. I learned something the other day that really caught me off guard. Oh, yeah? So, you know, I'm a big uh, Power Stroke Ford fan, right? Mm -hmm. I have spoken about that quite often. The heritage of that came from uh, uh, International. They developed um, the 7.3 liter, which is famous. I actually own several of them, and I've gotten hundreds of thousands of miles out of those. So those are iconic. Any of our 7.3 brother-in or sister-in out there, those are fantastic, right? And then they developed the 6-liter, which had some pains, uh, you know, but they have refined some of that. And then they did the 6.4, which actually absolutely was a disaster. And then Ford went off on its own, own and they built the seven, uh, the 6.7 Scorpion Power Stroke, which is an excellent engine, but doesn't have anything to do with International, okay? I learned the other day that Volkswagen owns International, and I don't know what point in time that that happened, but I was, like, blown away. Hmm. That, uh, a, you know, the, maybe they always have, but I don't think that that's right. It was International Harvester at, at some point. But uh, that Volkswagen is the parent company for Diamond Chrysler, or I'm sorry, Diamond International. And I just was like, holy cow, maybe some of you out there knew that. Uh, but you knew Ford did a split. I want to say it was 2014. I may be wrong on that. But uh, they did a split off and developed their own. And I honestly, it was a very good idea on Ford's part. My six, seven customers and listeners out there, um, those are absolute awesome engines. They really do an amazing job. And Ford's done a pretty good job of making them very dependable because they had two 
very black eyes going to the six liter and then to the six four liter that only ran for two years. The early six liters really are kind of where the the bad rap came from. They did not have enough head bolts per cylinder for clamping load for those engines, as well as. Um, you know, they threw, if you throw any kind of power adders at them, they will not tolerate it without being head studded. So that's the big thing on that. Now, the later generations of the six liters, the owner uh, satisfaction ratings on those are very, very high because they had rectified a lot of those problems. So it's one of those things out there really depends on what year you didn't want to be the guinea pig on the early generation, but Ford had had enough. And so they broke off and they built and developed the 6.7 that we all know and love today. Now, they have some oil leaking problems and some different things going on with them. But the drivability or the runability of those is absolutely amazing on what they can do. I've got a good friend of mine who's had a couple of them now. um, And he tells me once I get out of a 7.3 and I go into driving a 6.7, I won't ever be able to go back into the the 7.3 because it's a little lackluster on power. But I have to say, my 7.3s are extremely dependable. I don't have to worry about any def fluid or emissions stuff on there. I am very thankful for how robust those systems are and how dependable they are. And not to give you a ton of trouble, knock on wood. I don't need to have any problems out there on the road. But uh, I know one of them, we're at 441. We just took a trip back and forth to St. Louis with it. Did a great job. Super happy with it. And then after that... I do have one that I bought at auction that was a great deal. The uh, It was a big construction company out of Kansas City. They had put an engine in it, and it ran for about 5,000-ish miles and quit running, and they got fed up with it, and they put it on auction, and I got it for a honey of a deal. And it has been absolutely awesome to have that extra pulling power. I do a lot of towing, a lot of hauling. That's kind of part of my lifestyle, if you will. And for my folks out there with campers and that kind of stuff coming into the spring season, you all know what I'm talking about. And so it's very much better to have more truck than you need than to have more camper than you need and don't have the truck to pull it. So be safe out there. I think we need to step into a break. Sarah and I will be back in a moment. Your complete car care solution A1 Custom Car Care Alright, welcome back, Sarah and Dustin A1 Custom Car Care So we've aired out some things Sarah, in the last, and I'm just going to do this off of the cuff right now I'd say in the last 90 days We've had, uh, I'm going to say 96, 97 Honda Civic in, I believe Could have been a Cord, but I think it was a Civic it was a full rebuild of the suspension. Uh, we put a fresh engine in it. We did uh, fresh steering suspension in it. I said suspension twice, I know, but that was a big job, so it was worth saying twice. But basically, we took this Civic and sunk a significant amount in it, but you couldn't replace it, nor are you going to have a better driving vehicle. So new control arms, new bushings. The whole do the whole deal, new rack and pinion, tie rods, tires. I don't know if we put wheels on it or not, may have. Uh, Mike in Republic does a great job with this. So this was a whole mechanical restore. I was gonna say it sounds like you have resurrected this we vehicle. Have. I believe it still has the original transmission in it. 
Um, but with the exception of that, we have really resurrected that. And then he took it and had a bunch of cosmetic stuff done oh. to it. Had a, a the paint restore on it. I'm not a paint body guy, but you know, looked beautiful when he come back to the shop. So amazing job there. Um, we've got a 95 Bronco that's in uh, really cool old Bronco. It's lifted, got some I big love tires. Broncos. Oh yeah, and this is the full size one, you know. Yeah. Um, really cool, really great customer and friend of ours. Um, we're in for an engine replacement in that one, so we're waiting on a, a replacement power plant. Uh, we also had what else have we done? We've done several repowers on things, uh, different transmission related issues. Where in the past, you know, you might think, ah, you know, I don't think I'm going to put a transmission in that um, due to necessity or nostalgia, one or the other. And then uh, I'm starting to see some of our older General Motors and Ford and Chrysler stuff pop in. Uh, Chrysler 300, I think we did. Um, it had been to the dealer. And the dealer had just kind of, you know, threw the sink at it, if you will, and estimated that it was going to be $9 billion to get his vehicle back on the road. It was having a transmission issue, if I remember correctly. And that they didn't guarantee that that was going to fix the problem. All that on top of, hey, you know, we're going to start with like seven grand, uh. and then, you know, whatever else it needs, congratulations. And so after that, Darren and I kind of got together on that one and we were able to get it fixed. I don't know. I think it was under a thousand dollars if I remember right. So really happy to keep that on the road for that customer. Um, we're having a lot of pre-purchase inspections brought in. Good. Things that, uh, you know, I'm going to say more often than not, we're hopefully saving the people from a bad purchase. Um, and hopefully, you know, working towards a good purchase. The perfect vehicle really doesn't exist out there, but we can sure avoid some of the really ugly stuff. Um, and then AC season, uh, we probably need to talk a little bit about that. So I think I've talked to you or we've talked about that a little bit about the uh, AC shortage, if you Just will. Just the tiniest bit. Okay. So do you like your air conditioning? Let's start there. Sarah. Absolutely. Do you consider that a necessity? I sure do. So what amount of money would you put on to the point where you say AC is not a priority? Oh, man. I don't know. Probably 500 bucks. Okay. Uh, so what if it's a heat index of 105, and we're just going to pretend here. Then it just keeps like ticking <laughs> up slowly. <laughs> so you may uh, you know, be uncomfortable. You're heading to an important meeting. You're you're still pregnant at this point. We're pretending that it's August, right? How how much how big of a priority would that AC be oh, at gosh. that point? Yes, in? that would be like number one. Yeah. So the reason I bring this up, and this is not like fear mongering at all, but the AC season and the supply of refrigerant is going to be very short this year. Now, A1 Custom as a company has prepared for this because we don't stick our head in the sand and think uh, happy thoughts and that everything will just be okay if we don't do anything. We've been proactive with it. Um, I also really, for my personal vehicles and, and our you know close family that just, you know, um, know that we have their best interests in mind. I encourage people to come in, and this just isn't for extra service. This is for your benefit. Whether you bring it to us or you bring it to somebody else, you can do it yourself. You need to get your AC system checked early this year and prevent it from breaking down in August when the heat index is 105 and nobody has any refrigerant because the folks that do, it's going to be hard to get into them um, and they're going to be protecting their supply, if you will. So as a company, we have been proactive about 
uh, getting all of our supplies early and we are plenty stocked and have the guys and the equipment to take care of it. But what I don't want you to happen is you to be in a hurry to a very important event and then show up at the shop and think that I can wave, you know, my skills, which I, I can flex pretty hard on that and do some amazing things, but I always can't do it in just moments to get your AC system back working again. So word of the wise, be proactive, whether you do it yourself, whether you've got somebody you trust, whether it's us or another shop, I do not care. Okay. Get it in, get it checked and make sure the system is operating at peak efficiency. So you don't have a failure. What fails most systems is that it gets a little low on refrigerant and oil. It stresses the system out. You're asking everything that you can of it when it's very hot outside. And then I have a typically a failure in the compressor, which takes out several of the other components. The other thing that I do not want you to do is go into big box parts store, blah, 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 or big box store that sells every widget you can think of. And buy the garbage that says it's a sealant or a stop leak. Do not buy that. I cannot stress that enough. And if you put it in your vehicle and you take it to a repair shop, you're causing that repair shop a lot of money and you have broken their AC equipment because that sealant, it basically is a plague that affects everything. And if I had the horsepower to fight it at the factory level of whoever makes that garbage, I would. Because it gets in there and it reacts with oxygen. And so typically if you have a leak and you put that in the system, it's going to start stopping up things. One of the very first times that I ever saw this happen, uh, we had a customer come in and he didn't want to fix the problem. So he stuck sealer in there. And I happen to know the guy personally. And so later, he's driving down, I think it was Division here in Springfield, if I remember the story right. And all of a sudden, he hears the compressor and the belt squeal like he's never heard. And it basically had made a restriction on the high side. The compressor didn't have a high side limiting switch. And I don't know what the pressure was when it blew the high side hose off, but he said it sounded like a shotgun going off. Scared the bejesus out of him, which I'm sure that it would have anybody. And that AC system never worked again because the expense and the damage that it created was way more than the initial problem that he had in the beginning. And so later him and I are talking and I was just, I wasn't like probing to be like, hey, you know, how'd that stuff at a can work out for you? I was probing that, hey, maybe it did work. You know, I am never too smart to learn something new. And if there is something like that that's good, great. And this has probably been almost 20 years ago, by the way. No, it's not changed, and no, it's not gone any better. Um, but long story short, um, he was honest with me and said, yeah, that completely caused a restriction, and it blew the high side line off of my van, scared him to death, and that he should have listened and not done that, and he did it anyway. So that's kind of that food for thought stuff of why I get so passionate and up on a soapbox and talking with my hands. I know nobody can see me out there in radio land, but I'm trying to, to – hopefully pass on some of my a real world education out there that, you know, it would be cool if you had this mechanic in a can or this mystery magic sauce that just fixed things. Um, but so far I've tried just about everything out there and I still continue to do this by the way. So once new stuff comes out, I try it on, you know, something that's not going to hurt anybody. And uh, I thankfully usually have some uh, some uh, guinea pigs sitting around our place that 
you know, our yard ornaments, if you will, that I can try some of this stuff on. And if it doesn't fix it, fine. There's no loss. But then I can speak firsthand of whether it does work or it doesn't work because this is who we are. This is what we do for a living. We live, eat, and breathe automotive repair. And I don't want you creating more headache for yourselves. It is never a opportune time to have any kind of breakdown or problems. You know, it's not most people don't think, oh, you know, I got all this extra disposable income. Let's hope something breaks and I can spend it all on my car. Um, No, people want to buy fun things with it, but you depend on your vehicle to, you know, get you to those fun things, if you will. So. Sarah, how was that? You think that was a decent segment? You think I helped I think anybody? So. And I know that we did a show, oh my gosh, it was a long time ago on additives. We should yep. do another one of those because believe it or not, but there's some decent ones out there. There are. And I have continued beta testing some new ones out there on the market. Um, I continue that process all the time. And I have, even since that last show, which probably has been a year ago, maybe or so. We should probably do another one. Yeah. There's some new information out there. That's absolutely right. As well as if you guys have ideas for shows or things you want to talk about, why don't you guys let us know about that? Yeah, absolutely. And the best way to reach out to us is you can shoot us a message on our talk and text line, Mm 417-447-5743. Or you can reach out to us on social media. I'm usually the one that gets to see all the notifications so it will get to me somehow some way or the other uh but we do have facebook and we also have getter which is the conservative version of twitter so if you have one of those follow us on there Um, but both of those are at 1041 ksgf as well as um you know so i talk a lot about the value of diagnostics and testing if you will or the checkout time um, if you have questions or thoughts about things, please send them over. I probably won't diagnose it over the radio or over the phone. Um, normally, I want to set the stage of what the checkout time is or should be. Um, but if I can give any insights through the radio show, we definitely will. So we are going to step into a break. We're going to pick it up on the other side. Your complete car care solution. A1 Custom Car Care. Welcome back. You've got Sarah and Dustin, A1 Custom Car Care. It's been shop talk today, pretty much, you reckon? So, Sarah, you asked me a question here a few shows back about winter and spring gasoline mixtures. Oh, that is right. And I gave out some bad information. <gasps> oh, no. I know. So I did some more uh, more checking on that. Um, so I was, you know, I'm very familiar with winter and summer blend diesels. I think we've talked about that. But you specifically asked about gasoline and as I got to doing a little more homework on that, I thought we needed to share this. I got to keep it real that Dustin was wrong. I basically, I think I told you there wasn't much difference in summer to winter gasoline. Is that okay. what I said? I, Do you remember that? Honestly, I don't. But oh, so I'm telling on myself. And you I didn't... know. Well, that's okay. I'll remember this now. So, yeah, because it's a big deal. Um <laughs> So essentially, they do something different, and they didn't get in the weeds too much about it, about the vaporization of the gas. So back in the day, and actually, I think it was Nick's, um, if I remember the last car I had in here with it, Nick's Dakota that he got from his grandma. Mm -hmm. I really like that. I hope he still has that. That That's a beautiful little Dakota. We've done a lot of love to it. Has the best air conditioning. I say that every time I talk about it. But that little cab will freeze you out. Anyway, we had a uh, it's called vapor lock problem with that. So in the summertime, when the heat gets real, real high on certain vehicles, 
the uh, fuel gets real hot. When it reaches a certain temperature, it turns into a vapor instead of a liquid. So in older carbureted vehicles, you needed a liquid to get it back started again. And it would vapor lock, and so you would drive, and then you'd park at the grocery store or gas station where it didn't have long to cool down. Immediately when you shut a vehicle off, the engine temperature spikes under the hood, the coolant, etc. And it spiked up and didn't have enough time to cool down. So back in the day, it wasn't uncommon to walk back out of a store and hear a vehicle cranking over there that wouldn't start. Now... Now, with modern fuel injection and return-style fuel, that really doesn't happen very often. But that's what they did with um, the winter and summer blend in gas was the biggest takeaway that I... Um, they they made it not vaporize as much. I'm not sure how they went about it. If somebody out there knows, please let us know. But there is a difference from winter and summer gas, and that's hmm. the way I understand it. Very interesting. Yeah. I didn't know that. I apparently didn't either because I didn't answer correctly. <laughs> Learn something new every day. Yeah. And so I wanted to put that information out there as well as uh, with fuels, especially for our small engines right now. Um, did you guys have to mow your lawn when you were in town? Yes. Okay. So you probably have a lawnmower or a weed eater that's been sitting for a length of time. And so I wanted to bridge into that while we were talking about fuel. And for all of our small engines out there, I know I haven't started my lawnmower since last year when I put it up. I did store it with a full tank of fuel um, with a stabilizer in it. But if you haven't done that and it doesn't fire right away, you need to get that fuel out of the tank if it's a, you know, dispose of it in a safe manner. I guess I shouldn't tell you how to get rid of fuel, but um, you need to get it out and get a fresh plug in there and get it fired up. But what happens, and the reason I'm bringing this up, most of us out there probably are not buying premium um, ethanol-free fuel for our small engines, and we should. We really should. But I know I'm guilty of it. I do it if I can't or get to a convenient gas station that has it. I buy whatever, and I run it in there. I know that's wrong. I'm just telling you, keeping it real. Secondly, if you can, you need to get uh, a fresh fuel in there because the ethanol is hydroscopic, which means it draws moisture. And then the alcohol evaporates over time, so you're left with not having the alcohol in the tank with the fuel, and then all the moisture that it drew is now heavier than whatever fuel is still in there, and that's sitting on the bottom of the pickup of the tank. So as you're pulling your arm off to get your your uh, push mower or, or whatever small engine running, it's taking a big drink of that, that watery uh, mixture, and that's why it doesn't start, as well as water obviously corrodes and, and causes rusting inside. So it's not ideal for your fuel system. So if you're not running a stabilizer in there, you need to get that fuel out before you go pulling on it. And the engine takes a big drink of that, as well as, um, you know, if you keep the system full, it doesn't tend to draw as much moisture because you don't have the volume of oxygen in the tank. It's a very small volume of oxygen and mostly fuel with hopefully a barrier and that's how those stabilizers work it creates like a barrier on top of the fuel to keep it from evaporating which is probably partially what is in the winter versus summer bl uh, blend of fuel as well as it keeps the the hydroscopic or the moisture drawing part of the fuel from sucking in the moisture that is in the humidity here in the ozarks and you and i both know it gets darn humid doesn't it oh yeah so you get off work and it's hot 
and you're sweaty and you need to mow the yard so your HOA doesn't give you the business and you get out there and the darn thing won't start. You want to see like a man or adult meltdown? <laughs> That's the way to get it done. You know, I get out there and get to pulling on that and, you know, hope the neighbors don't see me that my small engines won't start. You know, it's a little shameful that the mechanic in town can't get his stuff running. Uh, but I'm just keeping it real. It happens. Um, typically I always know what I should have done or, you know, got lazy and didn't empty out the fuel or keep the fuel full or keep premium in there. But we're at the time of year that this is all going to be real. So if it is uh, weed eaters, especially two stroke engines, um, I was not in the beginning or proponent of buying pre-mixed fuel. Uh, I'm trying to think of what the one that I, true fuel is the brand that I use. Husqvarna makes, um, Still, everybody makes their own brand. True Fuel, I think, is what Walmart sells, if I remember right. My small engines run significantly better, and you don't really go through that much fuel. So keeping gallons of mixed gas around really isn't worth it, in my opinion. As well as, you know, you need to use the piece of equipment, so it needs to run in order to do so. So, you know, I'm excited about spring and getting out there and cutting the yard and all that stuff. Do you enjoy the yard work, Sarah? I do. Actually, I do the vast majority of the yard work. Really? Now, I don't run the uh, the weed eater because mm-hmm. I'm afraid. I, You know, I hit one rock one time yeah. and got my leg good. And I thought, you yeah, know what? I'm going to leave this to the husband. Yeah, but the, I do enjoy mowing the yard. The weed eater is... Uh, it's like a, a hate-hate relationship. It's not even a love-hate relationship <laughs> for me. Uh, I do like the way it looks when it's done and it's done well. Mm-hmm. You know, that definitely makes a difference. I'm more of a, a grass and weed killer kind of guy. So I don't like weed eating either. I do do it. But I spray grass and weed killer wherever I uh, don't want to weed eat. Uh, because, yeah, I don't, I don't, it's not my jam. I do not enjoy it at all. I prefer to mow as close to it as possible and whatever it is is what it is. That's just a me thing. So. It sounds like me too. <laughs> Faux show. But it's that time of year. I'm excited about it. Um, you know, we've done our wood cutting and splitting through the week or through the winter, if you will. Um, I'm glad to get out. I think we're going to put some potatoes in this year. I probably should have had them done. I think they're supposed to be in St. Patrick's yes. Day. So they are. I'm a little behind. I was going to say. I'm actually uh, to to my ladies, uh, maybe disgust, if you will. Have you ever heard about raising potatoes in stacks of old tires? Mm-mm. So any of you out there, if you know this is a bad idea, please let us know. But I'm going to do that this year so I don't have to dig my potatoes. But essentially, I've got some old tires laying around. I know that's a thing, you know, but they're real big. They're like huge 20 inch truck tires or giant tires. And I have four, but what you do is you, you, you know, put your weed barrier down on the bottom and then mm-hmm. you fill it with topsoil. You put your potatoes in there and then you stack a tire on it. And then as the sprouts come through, and if I'm explaining this wrong, please somebody message in and let us know. You put another tire on there and then it continues to make sprouts as it continues to grow up. And then when you want your t- potatoes, have you ever dug potatoes? I have, yes. It's a lot of work. Yes. But this one, you just tip over the, the stack of tires and yeah. then all your potatoes are there and you pick them up. The, the dirt goes in the garden. So that's where I'm going to put it, right by the garden. And then I'm going to have, hopefully, my homegrown potatoes out of my tires. 
And so at least, uh, you know, I'm not just hanging on to those old tires for crazy reasons. That's right. Well, let me know if it works for you. I'm going to give it a whirl. We're going to see. All right. Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Another show, another done. I know. So if you guys are out there in Radio Land and you have a question or a comment or um, maybe some advice for Dustin and his potato growing, (laughs) (laughs) you can shoot us a text message, 417-447-5743, or you can reach out to us on social media. Uh, it's at 1041KSGF on both Facebook and Getter. Dustin, I hope you have a good rest of your you weekend. You as well. Be safe. Have fun. Bye.